Hello there and welcome to Happy Place, the show where I, Fern Cotton, meet some truly inspiring people in order to, well, inspire us really. Today, oh wow, I've waited a long time to say these words. Today we meet author Elizabeth Gilbert. You know, like my hobby is writing, it's my vocation, it's what I do, but my actual job in life is managing my mental health. From the moment that I had the idea to do this podcast, Happy Place, I had written out a list of all my dream guests and Elizabeth Gilbert was up there as number one. It was kind of a pipe dream and I I didn't really ever think it would properly happen, but it did. And it was everything and more. I'm just such a huge fan of hers. I have read every one of her books and I just love following her career and the interesting twists and turns her life takes. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And now, here's the show. Elizabeth Gilbert, I cannot thank you enough for being on Happy Place. Thanks, when Mary. when I first kind of sat and wrote a list down of, okay, let's be really dreamy and write a list of everyone I'd like on, you were top of the list. Aww. And I kind of thought, oh, I don't know, will it ever happen? I'm not sure if it will. So it's completely surreal that I'm sat opposite you now. Look what you manifest. I know, I manifested this <laughs> shit. Yeah. Um, I am, I'm so grateful and, and thank you for writing your just brilliant books that have brought me a lot of joy and and inspiration and thought um all of your books but i guess especially the ones that are more memoir based eat pray love committed big magic you have to be incredibly vulnerable to and in a vulnerable space to be able to write like that would you say that now you feel quite comfortable being vulnerable i think i always have really yeah i mean i've i've I feel very uncomfortable when I'm not allowed to be vulnerable. Mm. It's kind of the opposite. I mean, I, I I surround myself with people who only want to be vulnerable and open. I, I don't feel safe in a room where people can't be as free and open and vulnerable as they possibly can be. And I'm not a particularly private person, never was. So this whole new universe of, of social media and, and all this exposure that people are doing, it's incredibly natural to me. It's kind of like yeah. the habitat I was always in. You know, if, if, if you and I had met on a city bus, I would tell you everything about myself by the mm. end of the ride and expect that you would do the same. Like this is mm. how I, like my deep, deep, passionate yeah. need, longing, and love of connection yeah. is what guides all of it. Um, so it's not it's not difficult for me at all. It's it's difficult for me when it comes to how do I write about other people. That's more problematic. So I'm I'm my friend Brene Brown always says I'll show you my naked ass, but I'm. I'll be careful to show you someone else's. <laughs> um, so, so that's where memoir is tricky. Is how yeah. you, um, you know, what's the ethics there, and how how are you careful and respectful, and how can you tell the story without exposing somebody in a way that they wouldn't be comfortable with? But my level of degree of comfort of exposure is is almost pathologically high. I love that because I'm very much the same. But it's only probably been in the last six years that I guess I felt. It's not really courageous, I don't suppose, but just sort of ready to to talk in that way. I love communicating and I always have, but to actually go to the depths where, again, I'm happy to tell any old Herbert that I meet on the street, this is my story, <laughs> this is what I'm about. I, I get a kick out of it now, but it took me so long and I'm I'm interested to understand I'm sort of curious to understand where that comes from within you is it something you know you got from your parents or is it just inherently always you've had that feeling that it, you feel safe to to talk to people like that can I wildly guess that you have been exactly the way you are for your entire life 
Um, and that is also how I have been. Yeah. I mean, this is, I, I was so excited to go to school when mm. I was four because there would be so many more people. I grew up on a very small, isolated farm. You know, look, we don't know. I have no, I literally have no idea yeah. what the actual hell is going on on this planet, in this universe, in humanity, in consciousness. We it's we can wager guesses and we can sit in people's offices and, and spend a lot of money talking about how we got this way, the, however it is that we happen to be and um, how much of it is mom and dad and how much of it is culture and how much of it is just your software program that you came in with. Yeah. Um, and and we can talk about that till, till times get better, but we're not going to know. <laughs> you know, there's a certain degree of mystery. How does anybody become what they are? But I, But I do know that I don't feel like I'm particularly different than I was when I was four. I just think I have more tools to um, manage and navigate the parts of myself that are difficult yeah. to navigate and manage than I have had ever. But that's just from a lifetime of, of accumulating that kind of stuff and working hard at that. But my essential nature, exactly the same as it's always been. And after the phenomenally huge success of Eat, Pray, Love and that level of exposure that you were opened up to. Did that in any way sort of mitigate that vulnerability or 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 make you feel more wary to write honestly in in the books that followed? Not really. The difficulty in that was just an exhaustion of literally millions of people want to connect now. So it's, it's almost mm. like be careful what you wish for, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. All I want is to connect with the whole world. <laughs> oh, great. There it is. Now the whole world wants to connect <laughs> with you. I'm losing my mind. You know, like there was just this level of like how much physical energy mm. it takes to show up for people in the way that I want to show up for people. You know, so it was that was just more about how am I going to have to change the way that I interact now so that I don't feel like I'm eaten by moths, right? Um, and that meant certain things like for instance I don't do like I don't do book signing lines anymore at book events I, I did that for years and years and years and I finally realized I actually psychologically physically and my very being cannot do this anymore to sit in a line for two hours and meet 500 people one at a time and each person feels very rightly that they know me and mm. they do mm. because I've told them everything about mm. myself you know and then they want to catch up by telling me everything about themselves mm. and uh, their selves themselves this is why I'm a Big famous writers because I, <laughs> I know how to use words. Um, so, so it's just like there are certain levels of kind of boundary that I had to put up that were not about a sense of hostility or, or banishment of people, but just about this very honest, sober recognition that there's only one of me. I only have this one energy source, and I must preserve it for what really, really matters. And and I can't just be pouring it all out. So um, that's the only thing that changed. But it wasn't about. It, it wasn't about shutting down. It was just about um, honoring, like my own life, mm. and making sure that I remain in environments that are that are conducive to me being healthy. Because when I'm healthy, then I do well. Is doing well is important. Yeah, well, it's <laughs> it's so it's such an important lesson that I think we all get presented in some form or another in life. Um, to think about our personal boundaries, yeah. and I definitely find that one really difficult because. You know, I do want to connect with people like you do, and I do want to be helpful, friendly, all the things that, you know, the majority of us want to do. But creating boundaries so that you can have that self-care is imperative. But I don't know about you, but I've, I've found that excruciatingly difficult over the years. And I'm just now being able to sort of flex that muscle and go... I'm allowed to say no. I'm allowed to put some rules in place or things that make me feel comfortable. But it's a tricky one, especially if you're a bit of a people pleaser like I can also be. Right. You know, and it is. And like, I think you're a lot younger than me. Um, if not, you just have much better skincare regime than I I'm, do. I'm but... hurtling towards 40. Okay, I'm, I'm... I'm 50 in in, um, in in a couple weeks. And I, I need to just let you know some fabulous news. Okay. That um, not only do you get better at it, mm. at saying no, you actually get to this point where you start in relishing in it. Oh, I can't wait for that. <laughs> instead of it being this kind of like cringing, oh no, <laughs> yeah. You know, there's this yeah. kind of amazing force that starts to kind of sort of grow up from the bottom of your now turning into titanium spine yes. that just starts to be like. Not only is it essential to say no, it's awesome. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I one of the places that I've learned it, um, that I learned it really, really to the bone in this very. Um, immediate way was when my partner Ray was was sick and dying of terminal 
pancreatic and liver cancer, really right from the moment of her diagnosis, there was something that I started doing that very day. I, I was in a different state than she was when she got the diagnosis, and I jumped on a plane to come and be by her side and essentially not leave her side for the next 18 months. But but I remember sitting, I mean, in addition to crying and calling family and telling friends and saying that this was happening, I also remember opening up my laptop at the airport and seeing what we all see when we open up our laptops, which is that shit tornado that is our inbox. Mm. Um, you know, there's actually, if you even say the word inbox, people have a physiological PTSD response at mm. this point. It's become something that, that causes people... I've said that just by saying this, I'm making people anxious by even talking about how many emails are in your inbox. <laughs> yeah. right? I went through and I just, you know, like like everyone, you know, my my email tactic is there are emails that I respond to immediately. There are emails I respond to within a few days, and there are emails that will sit in my inbox until the fucking sun explodes because <laughs> I don't know what to do with them <laughs> and I can't deal with them. And there are too many. And I those emails, there were probably 150 of them in my inbox as usual that day, and I remember just deleting every single one of them. And I've now just do that empowering and i and and i do it and it's like here's why i don't care that's what i realized that day i was like the reason i haven't responded to this email is because i don't care yeah i don't care about you i don't care about this mm. i don't care about your request your project your yeah. complaint and that's fine your family reunion your thing i actually don't care and the reason i responded to the ones i responded to immediately is because i do yeah it's because i do because i love you and i care about you and i want to do this and it's exciting and it thrills me so i now know that if something is sitting there in the swamp of my inbox for a couple weeks the reason is i don't fucking care about yes. it and there's this amazing realization that you then are allowed to just delete it. And what I realized when Rhea was sick was, here's how much I don't care. I don't care so much, I'm not even going to politely respond to you to tell you that I don't care. Mm. Delete. Delete, 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 delete. No. And and what, you know, it's hard for women, it's hard for people-pleasing women, especially to realize that people are not entitled to response from you simply because they want it. Yes. That is not enough of a reason Mm. for me to respond to you. Mm. You wanting a reaction from me doesn't earn you one. Yeah, and the modern world has exasperated that because everything's so quick. Yeah. So if you don't, people think, oh my God, what, have you emigrated? Where are, like, what, what's <laughs> happened? How come you haven't responded within two minutes? People yeah. can't fathom that. And actually, it, there is that sense of empowerment that you have a choice and you don't have to feel burdened and and shoved around by that bombardment of people's, you know, needs. You can, and, you know, you had to go through something quite devastating to sort of, I guess, get to that extreme realisation. When you realise what you care about, it makes yeah. it a lot easier yeah. to realise what you don't care about. Yeah. Right? And sometimes um, sometimes it's our passions and our creativity and our joy that makes us realise what we care about. And other times it's deep tragedy that mm. makes us realise what we care about. But one way or another, life in its, in its very loving, very the way life plays with us in such a rough way at times is very adamant about helping you find out yes what you care about and what you just don't care about and mm. what i've also realized about my inbox and my own time is that i think of my inbox as my home now and i'm like i didn't invite you to my house yeah you know those those emails that i get from people saying um i, I hope you don't mind that i'm writing to you i got your email from somebody you worked with 20 years ago oh, who you haven't heard of and she suggested that i reach out to you to see if you, and and i'm like delete. Mm. Bye-bye. I didn't invite you into my home. Mm. Um, I don't need to respond to you just because somebody made a duplicate key and gave you a key to my house yeah. and I came down in the morning and found you sitting at my table. I'm not required to mm. I'm not required to respond. This I've, has been like a massive game changer. Huge. And I think so many people are going to hear this and I think a lot of people and part of me is the same thinking, can I, can I do that? Could I do that? Or was that just Elizabeth? Could I do that? Like anyone could do it. Anyone, it's, a, it's a liberation. Anyone can, can take that stance. It's your house. It's your house. I it's love that. It's your house. You get I to love decide that. who comes in. And, mm. you know, the thing about boundaries is that there's a sacredness to it that's, you know, we think of boundaries as being, especially those of who want to be loving and compassionate, we think of boundaries as being cruel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and mean and vicious and punitive. And and my favourite my favorite personal way of imagining a boundary is um, Joseph Campbell, the great mythologist who spent his life traveling around the world and reading every myth and meeting all the shamans and all the, you know, all the great religious leaders and mystics of the world and creating this sort of unified body of what um, 
the human mystical experience is, um, what the human mythical experience is that is that transcends culture and gender and, and age and time, you know, and he created the whole idea of the hero's journey and all of that. He had the best, best, best description of a, of a boundary that he sort of sideways gave that I, I heard in an interview where somebody asked him, how do humans render things sacred? How is something made holy? How is something moved from being the profane to being the profound? And he said, making something sacred is the easiest thing in the entire world to do. All you have to do is draw a circle around it and say everything in this circle is sacred. Mm. Done. That Love is done. You don't need a that. priest to do it. You get to do it. Mm. And he took his, he was in some interview in the 70s on TV and public television in the States when he did this, but he took his cheap Timex watch off, put it on a piece of paper, drew a circle around it and said, now it's holy. Mm. Um, because I just drew a circle around it and yeah. said that it is. So what I think is one of the major transformations of my life, the way that I am different now from when I was four or 20 or 30 or 40, is that I've drawn a circle around myself mm. that says everything inside of this circle is holy because I say it is. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that I'm more special than anybody. It just means that I'm recognizing the inherent sacredness of this yeah. experience of my life, my body, my being. Yeah, which you value. Totally, mm. because it's holy. Yeah. It's sacred. It's magical. It's mm. mystical. It's an amazing gift. So everything inside of this circle is sacred. So, so if you're going to come into this circle with me, you have to take your shoes off. Yeah bow your head to the ground a little bit, not because mm. I'm holy, not because I'm a guru or a god, but because this life form is is to be stewarded mm. in a way that honors its sacredness, mm. right? So that is how you get to say no in a way that isn't vicious and punitive. It's yeah. just a regard yeah. that you have for what you've been given, which is this mm. rare, amazing experience of a human life, sentience, consciousness, and, and holiness, and you get to decide where those energies come and who gets to come in well that's it because I think so many people and myself included over the years have had such self-loathing that sometimes that feels almost impossible because you don't value yourself your space your time and drawing that circle feels like you know you can't even find the fucking pen it's not happening <laughs> but you know if we all actually I like what you said there that it's not me I'm not saying I'm special I'm hey but but you know honoring life itself is such yes. a nice way of of easing into that mindset and going, you want to step towards me, then, you know, let's let's all honour, you know, what we're experiencing right now. And that's a really nice way, I think, for people to gain that self-acceptance, even before self-love, to make those important decisions, really. Well, what's been the sacred job of women for all of time? It's to protect what is vulnerable, sacred, rare, and beautiful. Mm. You know, um, that is what women do. Yeah. We protect and we honor and we value what is what is gentle, yeah. what is soft, um, what is fragile. Mm. We've always been the guardians of the fragile. Yeah. Right? Um, men aren't. <laughs> you know, mm. Look around. Um, you know, like, but women have always been that. And so to fold yourself into that understanding and recognize that your being also is fragile, sacred, delicate, something quite rare, mm. something, you know, quite quite beautiful mm. um, and and equally equally worthy of honoring and, and holding in, in sacred space you know that's not the kind of I'm special look at me I'm going to step pound my chest mm. Kanye West sort of specialness <laughs> you know this is this is this is actually just sort of Gaia mm. you know this is like look what we're made of yeah you know? um why would you why would you assault it yeah why would you abuse it why would you allow anyone to ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I love how you... Um write about femininity in City of Girls, which is your latest novel, which I uh, read insanely quickly because I couldn't put it down. Um, Good, my work here is done. Tick. Um, <laughs> set in the 1940s in New York, the main character, Vivian, that we get to sort of explore her femininity throughout the book. And reading the book sort of coincided with me having a lot of thoughts about 
femininity and and a sort of my ancestry because when I was thinking about this character, I was thinking, God, only two generations ago, you know, my nan was a kid in the war and was evacuated to Wales, miles from her family home to stay with strangers and, you know, insanely traumatic sort of experience such suppression for females and males around that time because they couldn't, I guess, emotionally express, but so so much suppression for females, which, of course, resulted in all sorts of mental health situations that then my mum, you know, carried to some extent. And then obviously I'm going to still carry it. It's only two generations away. And although we see Western females as, you know, there's there's less disparity between the genders, etc. Now, we're still holding so much emotional suppression from that family lineage. And I'm wondering if and how that might manifest for you, if you've sort of recognised that in your own family tree and, and how you think that's, um, you know, helped inform how, how you are in your decision-making in life. That's incredible about your, about your grandmother. Mm. Um, I can't even begin to imagine what that did yeah, to a lot your of family and to the... Awful shit, oh, yeah. I would, but I it's the guess. same for everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. in my, my yeah. age in this country. Their, yeah. their grandparents would have been fighting in the war, lost in the war, evacuated, so affected. And I think we are, we're, we'd, be, um, we'd be completely stupid to think that wouldn't have repercussions yeah. for our generation. Trauma is our common ancestor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, we're not living it like they were, but we're yeah. still, the bells are ringing. You know, yeah. we can we can hear it and we can feel it. And and I know how it manifests for me. I, my, my negative tape is something good happens. I don't deserve this. Mm. I don't deserve this. Why? I don't deserve this. I'm a shit person. I do not deserve this. That is my, mm. that is how it's manifested for me, mm. for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think it's you know, there's still parts of the world. That's the mugger who lives inside your man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, your yeah. Mind. Yeah, the, yeah the, your, your little homegrown terrorist. Yeah. That you get to carry totally. around with you all day long. <laughs> um, <laughs> hello, old friend. Oh, I think yeah. we all know that one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, you know, for me, it's that there's a dual inheritance. One is tremendous strength and resilience um so along with all of that trauma which in different in a different story is also the story of the women in my family mm. women in all of our family um it, it is this this tremendous power that these women had to survive right mm. so they this survival instinct and this pragmatism and this um this how it manifested in my family is these women who are massively competent yeah you know ferociously capable and incredibly independent in a way where they truly live in a sort of terror-based world where they really do think no one's ever going to take care of you. No one's ever going to take care of you. You've got to figure out how to do this yourself. So that's what I inherited from my maternal grandmother, her mother, my my mother, all my female aunts on that side. They all passed it on to their daughters, this panicked, like, you've got to learn how to do this yourself. Mm. No one's ever, ever, ever going to take care of you. It's a brutal world out there. So there's a gratitude that I have for the competence that they passed to me and and the strength and the resilience it's trauma based though and yeah. it's scarcity based and it's based in this assumption that the world is going to do you tremendous harm yeah. and um and that you had best get this sorted out and you best get it sorted out by two o'clock today mm. and you better tuck it up and zip it in and get you know and put your chin up and go out there you know the other thing i inherited was this assumption that's taken me years to really scrub away which is that you know your role is to be wife and mother and and that's inherited from all the way back to Eve, mm. you know. So when I look at my my grandmother, eight, seven kids, a bunch of miscarriages, um, nothing but work, labor to keep those kids alive, yeah. to keep them fed on a farm in Depression era Minnesota in the 1930s, Scandinavian background, nothing but toil, mm. nothing but work, and nothing but babies, babies, babies. And then if you go back from her all the way to the beginning of time, it's that story. Yeah, it's the only story. Yeah. And then my mom had – there was birth control, so she had two. You know, I've had none. But I had two marriages because I keep trying to do in my own way an imitation of what they modeled, mm. which is be a wife, right? Be a wife. And I'm so fucking bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad at it. I'm so bad at it. And so much of my shame and pain yeah. in my life has been about like – 
wow, I'm really bad at this. Mm. Like, I'm really bad at being a homemaker. I'm really, I'm resentful. I don't want to do it. I hate it. And then in my 20s, so much of my depression and anxiety was about, like, I'm supposed to have a kid, but I don't want to. And that's where I fell apart. Everyone knows who's ready to pay love that that's my story. But then I tried in a moderated way to do it again later. Like, let me get married again. Um, okay, one of kids this time, but I'll be a great stepmother. You know, let me, you know, I'm bad at it. And I don't want it. And it's, there's an ambivalence about it. There's resent to it, resentment to it. And it's taken me to be here on the brink of 50 to be like, oh, actually, you know what? I hate this. And I bet they did too. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking hard. I bet they did too. Yeah. And now what I feel, instead of that voice that's like, you're shit, you're garbage, you're failing at this, you're history's greatest monster, why can't you just sacrifice and give and, and sublimate and only serve, right? Like mm. that, why, why are you so selfish? Why do you want things? Um, you know, wh- why do you prize yourself? Why do you cherish yourself in any way? Mm. Instead of that, now the way I feel it is that, like now I have this tiny little 600 square foot jewel box of an apartment in New York City that is mine, yes. that no one else lives in, that is just mine. And every single object in it is is mine that I love, mm. things that I've carried through me through the years of all my weird upheavals. These are the things that I love. This is the art that I love. I'm talking tiny. It's like the size of a teacup, this place. It's a three-story walk up, but it's the first thing in my life that I've ever owned that is mine mm. only that is not meant to be home that I'm meant to sort of fill with other bodies and other people's needs and now every time I walk up the stairs to that apartment turn the key and open to that bright little sunlit place that is just mine I feel a thousand generations of my female ancestors going fuck yeah, yeah bitch <laughs> That's it. You did it. You broke yeah. the wheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You broke the Chain wheel. Cut. Done. Mm. And that's this incredible liberation that I've, yeah. that I've got now that is not based in shame, but in a sense of finally somebody did it. Yeah. Finally somebody said, actually, you know what? My life is mine. Yeah. My life is mine. And it's going to be filled with amazing friends and beautiful adventures mm. and simple, lovely things and reading a novel at 10 a.m. Mm. And this is what it's going to be. And it's lovely and it's yours and you can have this. And I, I say that the only mistake I made with Eat, Pray, Love was ending it. I thought I was only allowed and barely allowed to have one year of actually following my joy mm. and pursuing what made me come to life, what made me feel ignited and lit and illuminated. And I only gave myself one year. And then mm. I was like, okay, now I'll go back to being a respectable, responsible person whose female life looks in a way that makes other people feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah. That was my only mistake. What's that about? We all do that. Yeah, that was yeah. my only mistake. So yeah. I did this like explosive, wonderful thing. And then I tucked it all yeah. back away, got married again and tried to imitate mm. all of those lives that had been modeled for me. Yeah. And now I'm just like, uh, no, I'm never ever Do doing mind. that again. <laughs> Incredible. Never doing that again. And so within City of Girls, you're obviously channeling a bit of that yeah. liberation and that and that drive. But there's so many other emotions that I I kept jotting down or or I was assuming you were sort of working with or, you know, anecdotally kind of looking at how you could put certain emotions in there. Am I right in thinking like quite a lot of the foundations of the story are if we take a look and have empathy towards other people that have cocked up, you know, um, done things that perhaps they regret, that actually we alleviate some of the negativity and shame around the things that we feel we've done badly, irresponsibly, etc.? Well, yeah, shame and blame. Shame and blame. Um, it's the same story. And there's, mm. look, I don't want to get too woo-woo, but there's really just one of us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we really are really just one organism. This, yeah. The whole earth thing is just one thing that's happening. And so you cannot cast blame on somebody without hurting yourself. Mm. You cannot. Because what you're saying when you do that is that somebody should be ashamed of themselves for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Um, and if you believe that then you're opening the door to, so should I. Mm. You know? So mercy, the quality of mercy, and we live in a culture that is virtually merciless. Um, and, and mercy is a, is a really rare, it's like, it's like this trace element that you can barely find yeah. <laughs> anywhere in culture. Um, and you can barely find it in your family history. There's so little of it. Mm. And we, don't, we haven't seen people practice it, so we don't really know how it works. You know? But mercy, which is 
fundamentally different from forgiveness, which is something else. Forgiveness is, I actually think, oftentimes a very um, arrogant thing. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. a kind of um, the patronizing sort of, I, yeah. I, you don't earn this, mm-hmm. you haven't earned this, but I, from up here, have, I will bequeath my forgiveness <laughs> upon you. You know, there's something, uh, there's a, what you're establishing that can be when forgiveness is done wrong, I think, which yeah. means in a hierarchy, there's a hierarchy of it, which is like, I'm above you and I'm giving, I'm handing you this despite what human garbage you are. Um, <laughs> you know, that, we've all done that and we've all begged for forgiveness from yeah, unbending me. You know, there's, a, there's this, there's this forgiveness in our culture can be something that's very, that's very separating. Yeah. Um, mercy, here's what mercy is. It's so beautiful. Mercy says, oh, I'm in a dilemma. I'm in the dilemma of my humanity as well. Mm. And I see the dilemma of your humanity from the dilemma of my humanity. Yeah. And aren't we just in the fucking stew here? Mm. And uh, why don't we all just take our boots off each other's necks on our own at the same time. Yeah. Right? That's mercy. I love that. And I I love that that was such a focus because it felt like the art of apology was something that you really wanted to explore in that and something that is possibly um, missing and feels almost eradicated in society. Everyone does want to blame and do the shame thing rather than what feels sometimes, again, very vulnerable and uncomfortable apologising, but from that place of mercy rather than it be the high horse sort of variety. Yeah, I mean, I actually think the only people who know how to do it and they and who, where it's become a practice are people in recovery. Yeah. Um, because it's a part of recovery. Yes. And, it's a, and, and making those amends that you make for the mistakes you've made is part of how you heal your soul. Mm. But also in those 12 steps... Um, is the, there's this beautiful step of willing to willing to let your own mistakes be forgiven mm. um that willingness to believe that you can be healed by 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 self mercy mm. you know by grace yeah you know that grace will actually take away the pain of your shame mm. and that that's the only way that you're going to get well mm. you know, because all addiction is based in shame yeah um and and so the only way to to heal that is is to is with mercy yeah, you know that's it. That's the portal. Yeah, you know, and I and I feel like you know I've I learned that so vividly from from my partner Ray because she was an addict and. I mean, as we all are in our in our ways, but she was a really, really she was just better at it than most people. <laughs> she was just really good at it because she was like thirteen years of a speedball junkie on the Lower East Side, and she was a bad, bad, bad person. She wasn't just because she was so powerful and so charismatic and so so she when she went to be a speedball junkie she wasn't a nice one mm. you know and um and she was a thief and she was a liar and she was a felon she was a user and anybody who crossed her path she took and used she's a fucking vampire she was horrible and and to in order to get well she had to take every single one of those actions that she had done that she could remember you know track the person down um and and ask for mercy and she got it from a lot of people mm. not from everybody there were people Freeing. who, who refused it and that's their right but there were people who 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 shared it and gave it and and there were people who actually had the high enough enough compassion to say you don't need to come to me and and beg for mercy like i get it you know i'm in my own pain i see what people do when they're in pain what get off your knees Mm. let's go have an ice cream Mm. oh my god it's over (laughs) you know like let's just release each other and and she became such a master of mercy from that and taught yeah. me so much about it. And and what I learned from her and through her is that, you know, it's essentially this, like, if I if I think that I'm not deserving of mercy, that I'm unforgivable for, for the things that I've done, then guess what? So are you. Yeah. So this is the world I've created. This is a world where, like, people can – it doesn't matter. You can never, ever, ever let it go. Mm. So that is a really great definition of hell. Hell so on that earth. is hell on earth. <clears throat> and you don't have to sit here worrying about who's going to hell. We're in it. Yeah. If you've created a worldview where mercilessness is the currency, mm. then you're in hell now. Mm. And heaven is anywhere that mercy is practiced. Yeah. Right? So all you have to do to flip it on the spot, your world from hell to heaven, is to just 
be standing in in constant mercy, which includes you, yeah. or else it's not universal. Yeah, exactly, that's, exactly. That's it. That's the way. I love that because I'd sp- I'd spoken on a previous episode to Russell Brand about the steps, and that all that step seems appealing to me because it's quite sort of cinematic, and I and I like this. Oh, that's like going back to all the people, and I have to write a list and do the personal inventory. But it's it takes insane amounts of commitment, dedication and, again, vulnerability to sort of do it. And I, and I haven't, and I haven't suffered necessarily with addictions myself. My husband is in the programme and doing his thing. But I, I do think there's something to be said for it, even without a catalyst of you need to sort your life out, quit, whatever, just to have that peace. You know, yeah, our heads keeping, are muddled with it yeah, constantly. your side of the street yeah, clean, right? Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you? And, and why wouldn't you have the curiosity to see if it might just be a relief for the other person as well Absolutely. and take some of their suffering away? And the willingness to, to be brave enough to know that they're not required to forgive you. Yeah. You know, so you may do that, all of that, all of that beautiful soul work and, mm. and come to somebody. And that's a lot of what City of Girls is about is what are we to do with the bits of ourselves that we can't forgive that also the person who you hurt can't forgive? Ooh, ooh, mm. what do you do when you ask for amends and it's denied? Yeah. You know, um, how do you then live a, a still a good and rich and soulful life in that? That takes a lot of, of, of very deep kind of work. Yeah. Process and um, yeah. And but once you've done that, once you've been able to sit and accept the pain, the stuff you can't fix, right? And you and you're like, okay, I I'm going to let myself go from this. Then you can sit in a room with anybody in whatever shit they're in, mm. you know, because their pain doesn't scare you. Yeah. Because yours, you've seen yours mm. full on, mm. you know, and now you're like, oh, I see your dilemma, right? I know that. Mm. I'll, sit, I'll sit here with you while you... Absolutely. <laughs> I'll sit here with you yeah. while you hate yourself. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've, all, we've all felt it or yeah. are feeling it, you know. it's. Yeah. It, I think some people feel very alienated like it's only me that has this self-loathing and everyone's dealt with it or is dealing with it and it's you know being able to sit in that space hear someone else have that conversation um in big magic which was a hugely game-changing book for me again reading about creativity in such a way and I have I get a huge kick from creativity I don't know almost who I would be unless I I had that um part of my life it's such a huge part of my life um how do you actually feel when you are writing? What is that feeling for you and 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 how it affects every aspect of your life outside of work? It's um, full absorption and the full challenging use of everything that I have and am. And it's hard. And But it's that sense that you have. I've, where, where was it that I read that one of the reasons that kids do poorly in school... Um, no one does well when they are either bored or something is actually beyond their capacity to do it. Yeah. Right? So there's this kind of sweet spot in between I'm bored because this is easy and it's the same and I and it's the grind and there's nothing challenging about it. And this is way too hard for me so that I have to shut down because I actually can't do it. So for me, writing is right on that edge of that shutdown mm. where I, I I really thrive. I've discovered that my being really thrives where I think all of us do, where you're given a challenge that's almost too hard for you. Mm. <laughs> you know, that's the gorgeous part right yeah. there. You know, and then what it does is it awakens all of you because what's required to do the thing that's almost too hard for you is all of you. Mm. And that's, I think, what we all want is to be absorbed where all of us gets used, mm-hmm. right? That's what we. That's where we thrive. That's where we grow. That's a really healthy environment for, for human beings to be in, um, and where you feel that satisfaction of using the fullness of yourself to the ultimate of your ability. I think that's also that sense of being fully absorbed and having all of you used. Um, what it does is it focuses all of your energy and your mind and your senses on one thing, and you also then get away from that chattery yes. kind of. Um, I'm human garbage ego brain. Yes, my the worst. Thing so creativity can be a wonderful holiday. Absolutely, where you get to not have to be yourself. For yeah, a while because you're so absorbed that you actually forget to hate yourself. Yeah, that's great. That's why I certainly love yeah. it. I feel yeah. like I'm just channeling all the good bits, and the rest of it just there's no room for it. Yeah. it has to be quiet in the corner. Over yeah. There. So on the flip side, how are you when you're not writing? Do you feel okay? 
I have to I have to find that in other ways because you know truly <laughs> I've been saying this lately but it's it, I'm not even joking my actual job in life you know like my hobby is writing it's my vocation it's what I do but my actual job in life is managing my mental health um, every day because if I don't and it's a, practically a full time job for me mm. if I don't. I will be taken under by it. So when I'm not writing, I have to find other ways to take what the, the hours that I would normally be giving over to writing, and I put those toward managing my mental health in various ways, which is um, meditating. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff like I've got a kind of OCD list of like ten things mm. that I do every day that that keep the black dog. Mm-hmm. At, at a safe distance. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I don't do those things, if I really let it slip and I get complacent, I'll find out because yeah. very soon I'll be in a really bad state. Yeah. So I, I've found what those things are. And it's a mix of the physical, the emotional, the spiritual. You know, I dance every day. This is something that I started doing after Rhea died. I'm no dancer. It's not something I would... Well, you just crank up the stereo and you just do it in the front room. room. First I love morning, that. I just, hit, I just hit shuffle. And what I did actually after Rhea died is I would hit shuffle and I would say, Rhea, you pick it. Oh. And then whatever song came up, I would dance to it. And it was just this way that I felt weirdly connected to her. Mm. Um, and then it just became a habit. And now it's something that I do every day. And it's, you know, for those of us who are very cerebral, mental, emotional, it's a really good way to remember that you also, guess what, have a body that's not, body. it's not just a broomstick that carries mm. the jar with your brain around. Yep. You know, like it's actually got this other purpose of feeling it. So it's a yeah. really good way to kind of shake energy out. I love um, that. Yeah. So I, I dance, I, I draw. Mm. Um, I'm not a very good drawer, <laughs> you know, but I like, I do my little drawings in my journal. Um, I, I write every day a letter to myself from love. Wow, that's a lovely thing to do. Yeah, that's a, a practice I've been doing for almost 20 years, and that is probably the most wow. important sanity and and life-affirming thing that I do every day. Um, wow. So I just ask, what would love, capital L, what would love want me to know today? What would it tell me if it were if I were a stranger and, and I wanted to love this stranger? Wow. Who I find in this position, in this condition today, what would love say to it on some days is that quite hard to do if you are feeling you know especially when you were going through acute grief you know how do you can you still easily connect to that love uh, is it is it still something that feels reachable it's when that's when I actually feel it and need it the most right because the urgency is so huge and the desperation is so huge and then it's not so much a letter from love as is a dialogue and those days it will begin with me saying, I need you. Yeah. Always the first line is yeah. the dialogue is, I need you. Mm. And for 20 years, I mean, I'm not kidding when I say I have tens of thousands of pages of this. Um, the next line is always the same thing. It's always, I'm right here. Mm. And then I say, I'm dying. I, I'm so, like, I can't do this. I'm falling apart. I'm so scared. I'm so sad. I'm so lost. I'm so shredded. I don't know how I'm going to get through this day. I'm exhausted. I didn't sleep last night. You know, all of it. And love says, I see that. I see that, sweetheart. Yeah. It's so sweet to me. It always calls me baby girl or <laughs> sweetheart or honeyhead or, or it's so kind, mm. you know, and it, and it just says, I see that, sweetheart. I see that. And I'm with you. I'm right here with you. Mm. And I'll say, you need to make it all go away. And love says, I actually can't. It's not my department, but I'll be here with you through mm. it. I'll be here with you through it. And then I'll say, how is this going to end? You know, when is this going to end? And it says, I don't know, but I'll be here with you through it. And there are times when I get, I can get like tantrumy and say, if you can't fix it or tell me how it's going to end, then what good are you? Mm. And love says, I'm company in your darkest hour Mm. and have been always, always here for you. Always right here. And it is always there. I'll wake up at three in the morning, reach for my notebook. I need you. I'm right here. It's never not been there. Um, So so it's actually true. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think so many people just feel so disconnected from it or so, you know, just fucked by life. And they just feel like it's, you know, unattainable. And I love the fact that actually pen to paper, you can get that you can get it. It's there. Pen to paper is such a powerful way of doing it. And you you actually know how to do this because all of you have said those words to somebody. Yeah. 
have held something, an animal or a person or a baby or something in your arms and said, I've got you. Yeah. I've, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Like we've all done that to mm-hmm. others. Mm-hmm. So we actually have the capacity to do it. We just have never occurred to us to, that you're allowed to do it to self. Yeah, I know. That's it. We give ourselves such a shitty time. Yeah. And often that, you know, that's the best place to start, of course, but often we find it the most it's difficult the final thing to frontier. Do. Yeah, it is. It really it's is. It's the final frontier, you know, but really if you is. can do that, then be love in the room towards yourself then it makes it that you actually really only just get better at yeah. doing it for others. Yeah. Because you recognize when they're in their spin, it's so familiar to you. You're like, oh, my God, I was there Thursday. Mm, <laughs> here, I got you. Here. And then you know what to say because you've been practicing. Yes. Just say, I've got you. I'm here. I'll be here. Mm-mm. That's it. That's all love does. Um, you've more recently written so beautifully and uh, courageously about grief and um, one line that I read recently was I'll probably truncate it or or say it not correctly at all but something about uh, grief is bigger than you Mm. so how do you stop it completely engulfing you if that is the case there's the mistake you don't right the whole pain is the resistance that's what's the suffering. The so surrender suffering. to it. Absolutely mm. surrender to it mm. because it's to 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 fight it, mm. you will that will take you under. Yeah. That will take you under. So you can't stop it. Mm. Guess what else you can't stop? Love. Yeah. Falling in love. Can't stop it. Guess what else you can't stop? Death. Mm. Like there's so much shit that comes at you that you cannot stop. And and so what hurts you really hurts you, wounds you, what creates trauma that goes generationally on and on and on is trying to control, manage, and stop that which cannot be controlled, managed, and stopped. Mm. So so the way that I interact with grief, and it's funny because I'm actually better at this than I am at rage. Rage is a really hard one for me. Anger is really hard mm. for me. I fight it very hard when I don't really yet know how to surrender to it and just let it take me until it's done with you. You know, um, that's the thing. Like these emotions will have you until they're done with you sadness is a place I'm a little bit more comfortable. So it's a little easier for me. It might be really hard for others. But but what I do when the grief wave comes is I just let it. Mm. Um, and it's and my, my sweet dear friend Gigi, who was Ray's ex-wife, who helped me take care of Ray when she was dying, she and I coined a term for it. We call it a bow down. It's a bow down moment. And it, there's a humility in it. And it's humility before the divine. It's humility before the, the grand, massive, devastating beautiful scope of human life grief is the is the is the bill you pay for having loved so much mm. you know so so it's it's interesting to me to have learned that grief is not the same thing as depression yeah um and the, i've been in grief now for a year and a half and i've not been in depression depression is very different i've been in depression in my life but i'm not in depression i'm in grief grief has this vibrant hot living um powerful like surge to it depression would be the resistance of it mm. that would put you into depression right mm. so so what and my friend martha back always says i'm willing to feel whatever i need to feel to not be depressed mm. you know so depression is the unwillingness yeah. to feel so she's like i will feel rage i will feel sorrow i will feel lust i will feel anything i need to feel so that i don't have to be depressed because depression is actually so close to death and often can slip right into it mm. you know so grief comes and it's like oh and I'll, i will get like a one second warning yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's like oh fuck oh my god it's happening and it's like the wave of comes and you just bow down it's yeah. like you literally hit your knees on the ground it's a literal bow down. It's a carve out. Mm. And you let that wave come and it carves you out. And the thing of it is, it will stop, but only on its own terms. Mm. And you'll know when it's over because it's done. Mm. And then you'll be getting up off the floor, going to the bathroom, washing your face. And and then it's like, oh, I need a sandwich. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Martha Beck always says, I can't live if living was without you. Yet here I sit eating the sandwich. You actually... <laughs> You actually can. You actually can live if living is without you. But first, you've got to let that thing hit you. Yeah, and we're all so bad at it because I guess culturally we're so terrified that indoctrinated that we shouldn't. Yeah, but we shouldn't feel things or show them or express them. It's not what's going to kill you. What's going to kill you is the 
absence of that feeling, yeah. the absence of the allowing, and exactly your question, how do you stop it? Mm. That's that's mm. the murderer right there. Well, other cultures, like, I feel like Eastern cultures are much better at grieving so openly and mm. wailing and physically letting keening. it out. Yeah. Keening. Yeah. You know, like learning how to keen is really important. I was, I was working with a meditation teacher and I was just, I said, I can't meditate right now because I'm in so much pain about Ray. And she said, if that pain had a sound, what would it be? Mm. And I was like, it would be, you know, and I just started and I started sobbing. I was like, wait, is this meditation? She's like, just do it. Yeah. Just do, let's just do this. Until it's done. Mm. And it was about four or five minutes of that. And then it was through. And then I could sit in meditation. Yeah. Right? So if this if this grief had a sound, what would it be? Learn how to make that sound. Mm. Um, you know, like like the great, amazing Middle Eastern widows who know how to do that, who know yeah. how to rip their clothes, who know how to just not zip it up. Yeah, which is don't what we've been in. taught. Oh God, that's just that's just savage. <clears throat> that's is. savage. It is, it that's is. Savage. It is. Zipping it up, that's brutally cruel I know oh I don't want this chat to end <laughs> please can we stay in this box should forever we should we just <laughs> yeah. in our despair that it's oh ended. god honestly I, I honestly cannot thank you enough for your time and your wise words and your energy and everything because not only selfishly did I so enjoy that but I know so many people love listening to it so thank you thank you thank you Elizabeth Gilbert thank you Fern and thank you for talking about real things just I appreciate that and it's the only thing I ever want to do so Mm. I loved it good (laughs) good good Oh my God, what a gem. That is one off the bucket list. Elizabeth, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you a million times over. That was like a real moment in my career in a really self-indulgent way, but hopefully one that you enjoyed as well. If you love that chat and are new to the show, you should definitely check out the episodes I did with Dolly Alderton or the one with Bryony Gordon, both insanely talented writers with lots to say. And don't forget, Happy Place Festival is the 3rd and 4th of August in London and the 7th and 8th of September in Manchester. To get your tickets, head to happyplacefestival.com. Next week, we spend time with the best-selling singer-songwriter, Hosier. I think for me, like like anybody else, your first experience of falling in love is, is quite transformative mm. and you, you reflect upon it for a long, long time. So I, I write a lot from, from memory as well too and I, 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 think, I think it's just a case of overthinking things. If I, you know, I think I really, really think that's where it stems from. Get that as soon as it drops on Monday when you subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts and don't forget to leave us a review if you use Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. Again, a massive thank you to Elizabeth Gilbert, to the producers of this episode, Anushka Tate and Matt Hill at Rethink Audio, and to you for listening. Thank you so, so much and have a brilliant week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.